Let's open our Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 48. Genesis chapter 48. And I'm gonna read again the whole chapter like I did this morning, though I'm gonna preach starting at verse eight and going through the end of the chapter. Again, what's happening here is Jacob is on his deathbed and he's pronouncing a blessing on Joseph's two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. He'll go on to do much the same with the rest of his sons in the next chapter, and we'll see that when we come to it next time. Like this morning, I want us to pay special attention as we go through this passage to what's revealed to us here about the character of God through Jacob's words and Joseph's words. But let me pray for us before we give our attention to the reading and the preaching of God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we ask your blessing on our time now as we come again to your word this evening. We want to know you more. We want to know you as you have revealed yourself to us in your word. And so we pray that you would give us the grace to be able to understand your word and also to be able to apply it to our hearts and to our lives for your glory. So help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis chapter 48. This is God's word. After this, Joseph was told, Behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And it was told to Jacob, Your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty, appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine as Reuben and Simeon are. And the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. As for me, when I came from Paddan to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way, when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath. And I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who are these? Joseph said to his father, They are my sons, whom God has given me here. And he said, Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face, and behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Then Joseph removed them from his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, 
the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys, and in them let my name be carried on, and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. And he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations." So he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you rather than to your brothers one mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. You can see there before you that the sermon notes are the same as this morning, but the spacing's different. We looked at the first point this morning where Ephraim and Manasseh are adopted by Jacob. This evening, we're gonna look at how they are blessed by Jacob. We'll spend most of our time on that point, actually. And then how they are reversed by Jacob intentionally with Ephraim the second born being put before Manasseh, the first born. And again, we're on the lookout, especially for what we can learn about God, about the character of God in this passage. So let's look at how Ephraim and Manasseh are blessed by Jacob. We read in verse eight, reading again verse eight. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, who are these? And that may seem a bit confusing at first, doesn't he know who these are based on what happened in the first paragraph? But he may have asked this question merely as part of the formality of the adoption procedure, or he may have asked it because of his poor eyesight and given the gravity of what he was about to do, he wanted to make certain that they were the right grandchildren before he pronounced these final blessings on them. Or he may have asked this question because he had just sort of time-traveled back to the distant past with his recollection of Rachel's death and burial, and now he's sort of snapping back into the present. But I'm inclined to think the question was just part of the formality of the situation, kind of like the question that's asked at the beginning of a wedding ceremony, who gives this woman to be married to this man? Everyone there knows the answer, but it's part of the formality, it's part of the ceremony. So Jacob asks, Who are these? And Joseph answers there in verse 9. They are my sons, whom God has given me here. Whom God has given me here. He gives glory to God as the giver of the gift of his children. Really, in partial fulfillment, at least, of the promise of offspring. And he says, Whom God has given me here. Here, meaning here in Egypt, in a foreign land. So the promise is being fulfilled despite him being away from the promised land. 
from which we learn that God is able to fulfill his promises anywhere, anywhere, whether we're at home or abroad, no matter where we are, God is there with us and he is able to fulfill his promises to us as he did to Joseph. I love the simple way he refers to his sons here. They are my sons whom God has given me here. The Bible says here and elsewhere that children are a gift from God. They're not a burden. They're a gift. They're not an encumbrance. They're a blessing, a stewardship, a heritage, a reward, as it says in the Psalms. So parents, those of you who are parents or grandparents, I remind you to see your children and your grandchildren as a gift from God, from our gracious God. Members of this church see the children of this church as a gift from God. They're not a nuisance. They're not a disturbance. They're precious gifts from God, every single one of them, to be loved and cherished and taught and prayed for and played with and encouraged by the whole body. So let's think of our children the way Joseph thought of his. They are children whom God has given us. And let's work together to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of him. Jacob responds to Joseph's question at the end of verse 9. Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. One commentator noted the change that we see in Jacob from what he was like long ago at his father's deathbed, his father Isaac, when he deceived him. Quote, Jacob, who was so anxious at his father's deathbed to acquire blessing for himself, is now just as keen to pass it on to his descendants before he dies. He's a changed man. He's not a perfect man, of course. We've seen that many times, time and again. But he is a changed man changed by the power and grace of God. Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them, he says. Now, we're told a few things before he actually blesses them. First, in verse 10, we read, Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. So just like his father Isaac couldn't see when he was on his deathbed, so Jacob cannot see. So Joseph brought them near him and he kissed them and embraced them. And then we have this beautiful line from Jacob to Joseph in verse 11. I never expected to see your face, and behold, God has let me see your offspring also. He never expected to see his son's face because he thought his son was dead. He thought his son was dead for over 20 years, you'll recall. But then his son was alive. Joseph is still alive and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt, his sons had told him. And he said, it is enough. Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. And remember, he journeyed to Egypt and at last he and Joseph were reunited. Joseph presented himself to Jacob and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Jacob said to Joseph, now let me die since I have seen your face. And know that you are still alive. I never expected to see your face, he says. And yet God in his mercy and kindness let him see his son's face. 
But not only that, behold, God has let me see your offspring also. So not only did he see his son, but he saw his grandsons. Not only did God exceed his expectations, I never expected to see your face, God exceeded the exceeding of his expectations. I never expected to see your face, and behold, God has let me see your offspring also. That's the kind of God God is. That's how merciful and kind and powerful he is toward us. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God is able to do what we ask him to do, but he is able to do also far more abundantly than all we ask him to do. So I would encourage you to consider, what are you asking him to do? What are you asking him to do? He is able to do even more, far more abundantly than all we ask. As the John Newton hymn has it, Thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring. For his grace and power are such that none can ever ask too much. His grace and power are such that he can do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think for his glory. So when you come to God in prayer, bring large petitions with you and trust his grace and power. Verse 12 Then Joseph removed them from his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand, toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand, toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. So you can picture that. He approaches Jacob so that Jacob can place his right hand on Manasseh, who is the firstborn, and his left hand on Ephraim, the secondborn. But look at verse 14. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn, which was no mistake. And we'll talk more about that near the end under our third point about them being reversed here. But first I want to spend some time on the blessing Jacob pronounces in verses 15 and 16. Let's read those verses again, looking at verse 15. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And in them let my name be carried on, and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. I want to look at each of those lines in turn. The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked. God is described in covenantal terms here. God had made covenant promises to Abraham to be God to him and to his offspring after him. 
And so Abraham had walked before God, and then Abraham's son Isaac had walked before God. Isaac's son Jacob had walked before God, and now he was calling upon this covenant God to bless his grandsons. We know from Scripture that God so often works through families. We know from our own experience as well. He often works through families, not exclusively, but ordinarily. And while it's exciting to see someone come to faith from outside the covenant community, and we should pray for that, it should be equally exciting, shouldn't it, to see our covenant children come to faith, to see them embrace the God of their fathers instead of rejecting him. And we should pray that all of our covenant children would do so, that by God's grace, they would be covenant keepers and not covenant breakers, that they would put their faith in Christ and that they would come to make public profession of that faith in due time. Notice the language here of walking before God, which has been mentioned several times in Genesis already. Enoch walked with God, chapter 5, verse 22. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, chapter 6, verse 9. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, chapter 17, verse 1. Just for a minute here, let's think about what does it mean to walk before God or to walk with God. Well, it means to live your life with God and for God. With God, that is, consciously in His presence, aware of His presence, knowing that He's with you. Like you're on a walk with a friend. You're aware of their presence. You know that they're there. You talk to them. You listen to them. You enjoy their company. You enjoy just knowing that they're there with you. Walking with God is sort of like that, except he's God Almighty. He's the creator and sustainer of the universe. And you get to walk with him through your life, through each day and through each night, through every joy, through every trial. You walk with him, knowing that he's with you, talking to him in prayer, listening to him by his word, enjoying his company, and just knowing that he's right there with you, right there next to you. You live your life with God. Walking before God also involves living your life for God. Walking in obedience to his word. Doing all you do for his glory, not yours. Living for him and not you. Seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness, not your kingdom and your sin. Seeking to glorify and enjoy him in all you do. No longer living for yourself but for him who for your sake died and was raised, 2 Corinthians 5.15. Recognizing that you are not your own, but you've been bought with a price, and so you are to glorify God with your body, 1 Corinthians 6.19 and 20. And of course, we are dependent on God's empowering grace to do this, to live for him, which is available to us through prayer. And so to walk with God means to live with God and for God. So let me ask you, how's your walk with God this evening? Are you living with God and for God? In what ways are you? Think about that. Be encouraged by those ways. Thank God for his grace and for his work in you. In what ways are you not? 
Think about that. Be challenged and convicted of your sin. Ask God for his grace. Ask him to work in you, to change your heart, so that you come to walk with him more closely, more consistently, more joyfully. The same God before whom Abraham and Isaac and Jacob walked is the God before whom we can walk each day. What does Jacob say next? How does he refer to God next? He refers to him as the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. And what a beautiful description of God in relation to each of his covenant people. The God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day calls to mind Psalm 23, doesn't it? Where David refers to God as his shepherd. Listen to the first four verses. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Like a good shepherd, human shepherd, knows and leads and feeds and protects his sheep, our good shepherd knows us and leads us and feeds us and protects us. And he has done so all our life long to this day. And if he's been our shepherd all our life long to this day, won't he be our shepherd tomorrow? He will because he is faithful and we can trust him. Jacob continues. The angel who has redeemed me from all evil. The angel, meaning the angel of the Lord, who shows up at different points throughout the Old Testament. A theophany, or an appearance of God in human form. The pre-incarnate Christ. The one Jacob wrestled with at Peniel. That angel, he says, has redeemed him, or rescued him, or saved him, from all evil. Now, how do we reconcile that with the words Jacob spoke to Pharaoh just in the previous chapter where he said, few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. How could he say that the days of his life had been evil and yet that the angel of the Lord had redeemed him from all evil? Well, he may have been thinking wrongly when he said to Pharaoh that the days of his life had been evil. But whatever we make of that, he does say that the angel of the Lord redeemed him from all evil. Which probably has the sense of the Lord bringing him through all the evil that he experienced to where he was today. So a similar idea of God being his shepherd all his life long. The Lord bringing him through all evil to where he was then. When we read the Bible and we ask ourselves, what does the Bible say our lives are going to be like as the people of God, as Christians? We learn very quickly that our lives are not going to be free from evil. We are to make the best use of the time because the days are evil, Ephesians 6.15 tells us. We are to take up the whole armor of God that we may be able to withstand in the evil day, Ephesians 6. We live in the present evil age, Galatians 1.4. And we are to expect that there will be trials and temptations 
There will be sin and suffering. There will be trouble and persecution. We are to expect many dangers, toils, and snares on our journey to the celestial city. And yet, though we will experience much evil and even commit much evil, sadly, God will redeem us from all that evil. He will keep us from being ultimately overcome by that evil, and He will use that evil for His glory and for our good. And so we could say, though He has not redeemed us from the presence of evil, He has redeemed us from the power of evil. And we can also say that one day he will redeem us from the presence of evil forever when we live with him on the new earth where nothing evil will ever enter. Revelation 21, 27. So Jacob refers to God in those three ways and then he calls on God simply to bless the boys, his grandsons. And in them, let my name be carried on, since now they're going to be heads of tribes of Israel. And the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, again, think of the covenant. And let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth, which is what they go on to do in Egypt before the exodus and partial fulfillment of the promises to Abraham. Well, let's look at how Ephraim and Manasseh are reversed our final point in the few minutes we have remaining really their reversal is confirmed by Jacob that's what's happening here first it is contested by Joseph we read in verse 17 when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim it displeased him and he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head and Joseph said to his father not this way my father since this one is the firstborn put your right hand on his head But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also, meaning Manasseh, shall become a people, and he also shall be great. He would be the head of the tribe of Manasseh. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring, Ephraim's, shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will pronounce blessings saying, God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Firstborn reversals feature prominently in the book of Genesis and in other parts of the Old Testament. So Cain and Abel, or Perez and Zerah with the scarlet thread, and of course Jacob and Esau, and now with Ephraim and Manasseh. And these firstborn reversals show us, among other things, that God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. He sometimes does the unexpected, and he works by grace and not merit or position or status. He carries out his plan according to his sovereign will. But then we read finally in verses 21 and 22 there, Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given you, rather than your brothers, one mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. 
that reference at the end to the one mountain slope is a bit hard to understand exactly what's being referred to there. It may refer to the piece of land Jacob bought from the Shechemites back in chapter 33, which perhaps the Amorites took over and he had to take it back with his sword and bow. It's hard to be sure. But I really want to focus on what he says to Joseph in verse 21, a beautiful verse as we draw to a close now. He says, Behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Jacob's life is coming to an end. But he's reminding Joseph of the covenant promises. God will be with you and God will give you the land. I'm about to die, Joseph, but God's gonna be with you and God is gonna keep his promises to you. Matthew Henry wrote the following, applying these words to our lives. He said, these words of Jacob furnish us with comfort in reference to the death of our friends. They die, but God shall be with us and his gracious presence is sufficient to make up the loss. They leave us, but he will never fail us. Further, he will bring us to the land of our fathers, the heavenly Canaan, whither our godly fathers have gone before us. If God be with us while we stay behind in this world and will receive us shortly to be with those that have gone before to a better world, we ought not to sorrow as those that have no hope. What a comfort. I'm sure these words were to Joseph and what a comfort they are to us this evening as God's covenant people today. No matter what happens, God will be with us and we have the promised land to look forward to. All our life long, he has been with us and he will be with us again tomorrow and we can walk with him through this life until we reach the heavenly Canaan where nothing evil will ever enter and we will walk with God forever. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray that you would make us long for that day more and more when we will be with you forever. Thank you for all you've revealed to us in this passage about yourself and your ways with us. Would you shape our hearts and sanctify our hearts by these truths we've considered together and give us grace to walk with you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.